Good morning, church. It's good to be together. It's good to be together. Last week, you will remember, I'm sure, that Ollie shared with us the last stage of our Be Me, uh, our Be Me, <laughs> that's the counselling, sorry, just changing my hat, sorry, our Be Love vision, which is to go and to make disciples. Over the next several weeks, we're going to break that down into smaller chunks to allow us to understand more fully what it looks like for us as individuals and as a church to abide and be disciples, to be transformed and grow as disciples, and to go and make disciples. So this morning and next week, actually, we're going to explore the numerous elements of what it means to abide, to abide and to be his disciples. And when we are thinking about being a disciple of Jesus, uh, pastor and author John Mark Comer says this, one of the greatest issues facing the world today is whether or not those identifying as Christians will become disciples, practitioners, students, followers of Jesus the Christ. And so I think that to, uh, that's the call to many Americans and all Westerners, is to move from being, quote, a Christian, in the modern use of that word, to being a disciple of Jesus. So we can see that there's a call and a challenge for Christians to move from merely identifying a label, I'm a Christian, to becoming a disciple and a follower of Jesus. So let's begin to unpack this a little bit and let's look at what is a disciple. Well, the word disciple means learner, doer, pupil, student, and it probably more directly means follower or apprentice. Now, I quite like that apprentice word. It resonated with me. When I was 15 or 16, one of my first jobs was in a bakery making the sausage rolls. Very exciting. And when the store was closed, I would go in, and to begin with, I would work under the head baker, and he showed me how to handle and manage big pieces of pastry without putting my fingers through them and tearing it, how to get all the sausage meat out in one long run rather than little dabs, where to cut them, how to cut them, and of course then to get them into to be cooked. And so I apprenticed under him. I learned um, uh, how to make the sausage rolls with all the interest, more tricky than you think it is, with all the intricacies that it entails. I learned, I watched, I did, I followed, I replicated, I imitated what he did. And so that apprentice word has been quite helpful to me in, in as a way of describing a disciple. If we then go on to ask what is a disciple of Jesus... We can see from our main scripture verse, Matthew 4.19, that Jesus actually tells us the definition of a disciple in his invitation to Peter and Andrew by the Sea of Galilee. So in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, Come, follow me, 
he said, and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me. And these three words are going to be the focus of our time this morning. And in order to come to Jesus and to follow him means, first and foremost, actually, that we are to repent and believe in Jesus as Savior. So let's just spend some time looking at this. Mark 1:15, Jesus says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So that's the first step. Repent and believe. Uh, to being a disciple. And the word repent means to have a total change of mind. It means a turning back. It means that we were going in our own direction, making our own decisions, and we have a revelation of God. We have an encounter with God, and we do a 180. We change directions. We turn 180 degrees, and we go in the opposite direction, and we follow Jesus. In the Old Testament, the word repent is used in two ways to indicate a personal turning away from sin and to indicate Israel's corporate turning away from idolatry and back to Yahweh, the true God. And I don't know about you, but that really resonated with me. And I wondered, do I... Do we need to repent and turn or return to Jesus today? Maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time. Do we need to turn from idols, and there's many, but such as power, control, pride, money, reputation, and turn back to Jesus? Is there an area of sin in our lives, jealousy, unforgiveness, lust, greed, lies, hate, cheating, that as a disciple of Jesus, we know we need to turn and run from and run to Jesus? You see, I don't think that repentance is a one-time thing when we give our lives to Jesus for the first time. I think, and it's actually been my experience, that time and time again, we need to give up our idols. We need to turn away from our sin, and we need to turn back to Yahweh, the true God. And scholar James Edwards speaks to this line of thought when he writes, in the Greek, both verbs, repent and believe, are what's called present imperatives. That is, they instruct and they urge us to live in a condition of repentance and belief as opposed to them being momentary acts. That we live in a condition of repentance and belief. Now, in Mark 1.15, Jesus couples the call to repent with the call to believe. And Jesus' peers at the time believed and trusted in all kinds of things. They trusted their ancestry, their land, their temple, their many laws, even their God, as long as he did what they expected him to. 
And with this call in Mark 1 to repent and believe, Jesus is calling them to turn to him and to believe in the good news, to cut loose from the other ties, the other things they've chose to believe in, and to trust him and his message. And that wasn't easy then, and it isn't easy now. And I do wonder if in coupling repent and belief together, Jesus is highlighting that one without the other is not the way of a disciple. For instance, Scripture tells us even the demons believe there is one God. Uh, James 2:19. So belief alone is not enough. It's not, it's, it, it's not just believing in God. It's repenting. It's turning towards him. It's trusting and following like an apprentice doing what he does, following his lead, doing what he says because he knows best, because he knows what's best, and because he loved us first. 1 John 4, 19. And when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew by the Sea of Galilee, he invites them to come and follow me. That's Matthew 4:19 again. And he's inviting them firstly into repentance and belief in him as savior. And secondly, this is a call to come and follow him to surrender, to follow Jesus as his disciples, not only involves following Jesus as Savior, but as Lord. And that means surrendering to his Lordship in our lives. That means that he's the boss, I'm not. That means he's in charge of my life, I'm not. Why? Well, because we've had a revelation of his love. It's our love response to him because he first loved us. When we were far away, when we didn't want anything to do with him, he loved us. Following Jesus involves surrender and that involves laying down my rights giving up my desires, my wants, my attitudes, my control. And we don't find that easy, do we? Oh, am I on my own there? (laughs) I don't find that easy. We don't find that easy, do we? Matthew 16, 24 to 26 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And I'm going to read the NLT version because I like the difference of view that, that it gives us. Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, all the stuff the world has to offer, but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Being a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of Jesus is a call to deny self. And that's radical discipleship. The disciples, Peter, Andrew, James and John by the Sea of Galilee, left everything and followed Jesus. Luke 5.11 To prioritize Jesus and follow Jesus over everything else is radical. Let's be honest, it's radical. And you know... We are selfish beings, aren't we? Denying self is hard. We find it hard putting Jesus before ourselves or before anyone or anything else. It's hard giving up control. We like control. We like the feeling of being masters of our own destiny. But that's an illusion. We're not. Because we can't control everything in our lives. We can't control everything that's going to come into our lives. We can't control every conversation or every relationship or every situation. We can't control that. A few years ago, I'd been accepted on a part-time degree course in youth work and theology. I'd had conversations at work, and it was all systems go. I was really excited, as my desire for a long time had been, I really want a degree. I didn't have one. I really want a degree. So I was preparing myself for the course starting. It made sense. I was a youth worker. I could get some theology training. What's not right about this? Then late in the summer, before the course was due to start, I got an email saying that the course was not going to run due to a lack of applicants. I felt like God had very clearly closed the door, which I had assumed I was just going to breeze straight through. To say I was gutted was an understatement, mainly because my insecurities and some of my self-worth were tied up with that. But I got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, you know best. You know what's best for me, and I trust that you know what's best for my life. I could have chased that degree at another time. I could have gone and done a similar one, but I sensed upon reflection that that was not the right path for me. As disciples of Jesus, whenever, when, uh, when things are not going right or not going how we would want them to, we have to choose as a choice. We have to choose to surrender to his way, to his leading, knowing he loves us and knowing he knows what's best. And what about the more day-to-day things? What about, what about denying self that looks like, 
I will get out of bed earlier to spend time or a bit more time with Jesus. I will not go out or stay in tonight and drink too much. I will not numb my problems with food or gaming or TV or excess exercise, but take them to Jesus and seek the wise counsel of a Christian friend. I will not badmouth my colleague to another because it makes me feel better or makes me look better. We deny self because he loves us. We deny self because he shows us that there's a better way, a better us that arises as we follow and imitate Jesus. Pastor and author John MacArthur writes, Jesus is not offering a makeover, he's offering a takeover. Very different from the easy kind of Christianity light that we're so familiar with. Jesus is not offering a paint over the cracks, a paint a smile on your face, a put that mask on again, disciple, follower, apprentice, child. He's offering heart surgery. He's offering mind transformation. He's offering to uproot the old self and excavate and bring out the real, authentic you, the you he created you to be. He's offering a new way of being and a new route to follow and a new way of living. So even, so even when we are surrounded by the brutality of life, that we are held fast by the rock who is unshakable, that we are held fast by the mighty peace that does not sway or drift, and that we are held fast by his hope, which is unmovable. And thirdly, this call to come and follow me is about surrendering and changing the way we think. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is offering a mind transformation and Romans 12 too says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our negative, critical thoughts and thought patterns, those ways that we think, those ways that we think that are perhaps more aligned to the world and our old self than we'd like to believe, all these things need to be surrendered to Jesus too. Paul says... Let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
Again, this is a radical way of living for Jesus' disciples. But what does it mean? Well, the late Timothy Keller is helpful here when he highlights that firstly Paul is telling us to recognize and reject the pattern of thinking, feeling, and behavior that characterizes the world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. Recognize it and reject it. And then to embrace God's will for our character and life. Any way you look at this, it's radical. In a world where the narrative is, just do what makes you happy, put number one first, surrendering and following Jesus is countercultural. Secondly, Keller says that it means that as followers of Jesus, an inner transformation can happen rather than merely an outward conformity. Outward conformity by itself never really works for any prolonged length of time. Only when there is inner transformation of our thoughts, of our thinking pattern by the Holy Spirit, will our outward behavior also change and last. And thirdly, Keller highlights that as surrendered followers of Jesus, our mind is reorientated to and on Jesus. And this reorientation is fueled by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and assisted by the Word of God. And this is why it is so important that we are in the Word of God daily, letting it soak and saturate our minds, our thoughts, and our spirits. And why? Why do we do this? Not because we want to gain Jesus' love, but because we are already loved. It's our love response. We want to be with him. We want to be like him. And you know, church, it's not that we have to do these things, but that we get to. Because of his outrageous love for us, and we see that on the cross, because of his outrageous love for us, we get to be his disciples, those who follow an apprentice under him. We get to be in relationship with him. We get to know and experience a savior who saves us from a life where no matter how hard we try, Our efforts are never enough to sustain the peace, the freedom, and the hope that we desperately desire. It's that we get to, we get to know and experience him as Lord. We're all our surrendering. All that we deny ourselves for him. All our surrendering of negative thoughts and patterns. All of it becomes for us an act of deepest joy and satisfaction. Because as disciples who follow and surrender, 
we are made more whole. We are made more into the person he has created us to be. And we are made more into his likeness. Amen. Let's pray with the band once come back up. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Actually, why don't you stand if you're able and you'd like to? Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Jesus, we know that the call to follow you is actually a really, it's a tough call, God, because you demand everything of us, because you gave everything for us. When we were far off, when we didn't want to know you, you came and you lived a life on earth and you died on a horrid cross. You, 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 you gave yourself, you were executed for us, taking all our sin. And so our response to you is that we say thank you and we give our lives as a response to you. We know we're going to need your help, Holy Spirit. We know we're going to keep having to come back for, to repent and, to, and to turn back, but we need your help. Thank you that we get to. Thank you that we get to be your disciples. Thank you that following you, living your life, doing the things that you do, saying the things that you say, is a life of adventure. Thank you that living a life as a follower, as an apprentice of Jesus, means that all the things that hold us, all the things that would keep us trapped, are no longer holding us. Because Jesus speaks freedom over our lives as followers of Jesus. That's our inheritance. And we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you. So our response, our response is that we love you. And our response is that we surrender. We surrender. We just lay it all down. All the things that clamor for our attention. Some of them are good, we know that. But we put you back on the throne of our lives and we surrender again. Jesus thank you Jesus help us Lord to be your disciple to be your apprentice to go where you go and to follow your lead thank you for the relief that you're the boss and we're not what a relief because actually God sometimes we make a mess of it but you're the boss you're in charge and we thank you and we thank you Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Church, as we come to respond and to worship, 
I'm just, we're just going to offer a space as Dave and the band worship for you to come and step forward. We're not going to pray for you. I'm not going to utilize the ministry center, the ministry team. Um, so ministry team, you can be free to respond and receive as well. If there's something that you've heard this morning, and that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit, just resonating and just moving upon our hearts and minds. If you know that actually I need to repent and turn back, just come and step forward. If you know there's a sin area in your life that maybe you need to release again, just come and step forward, do business with God, come and say sorry. If you know it's time to surrender again, that he would take the lead, that he would be the one in charge, just come and step forward and do business with God. This is just a moment between you and God. You might find as you come, you want to put your hands out as an outward sign of what the inner stuff that's going in, or you may not. You may want to kneel, you may want to lay prostrate, you may want to stay in your chairs. This is just a moment for us to do some conversation with God as we consider all that he's done for us and our response back to him. So let's do that. Feel free to respond.